This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Welcome to Headscarves and Good Yarns with me, Amal Abdullahi. The show is all about talking about race, diversity and everything in between, all in the hopes of empowering a more empathetic Aotearoa. We talk about all these huge life things through the lens of people's lives and stories. I hope every yarn you take a wee gem from it and expands your heart and mind just a wee bit more. Okay, kia ora, salam alaikum. Welcome to another episode of Headscarves and Good Yarns. Um, this week I'm sitting down with someone who's very, very important to me. Abo, do you want to introduce yourself? Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. May peace be upon you, everyone who's out there. <laughs> My name is Asad and, and I'm Amal's dad. Aww. This young lady's dad, yes. <laughs> um, and for folks who are listening, um, Abo is just a Somali word for dad, so that is what I call Abo. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, that was such a nice introduction, Abo. Um, how, what do you do in life? Where, where do you come from? Um, who is home to you? Who are the people that are home to you? Give us a little bit more about who you well, are. Well, I, I uh, came from Somalia. I grew up in Mogadishu, the capital city of Mogadishu. When I was growing up, Mogadishu was very peaceful. I mean, unlike the last 30 years from what I hear, because I wasn't there. And when the troubles started, I left Somalia when we had a state and there was a rule of law and uh, everything was quite normal. Mm-hmm. I mean, but um, in 1991, that's when the Somali state collapsed and uh, chaos reigned in. And uh, But if I just uh, go back uh, to my childhood when I was growing up in the capital, and uh, it was very peaceful and uh, we used to do what any other child in New Zealand would do, play football <laughs> and uh, we have our own, uh, we organize ourselves unlike in New Zealand <laughs> where you have got clubs and organizing uh, formal sport and uh, under that structure. But uh, in fact in some respects we were much better than, <laughs> than, than New Zealand because in turn children will just uh, organize themselves, we will organize ourselves, we'll buy our own you know, gear for the football, and uh, we will organize the match, you know, and uh, against one neighborhood, against the other, and uh, it was fun, it was fun, really, and uh, uh, schooling was more or less the same, I mean, like New Zealand, you have school uniforms, and uh, uh, you have, uh, you go to school in the morning and finish the school finishes at two o'clock yes and you don't have uh, in the afternoon then you go to the madrasa i mean the for duxi for duxi yes or um, quran and islamiyat that's where you go your afternoon so uh, and then uh, it was beautiful in the weekends we will go to the cinemas you've got given them money and uh, in our neighborhood there was one one cinema which is uh, which belonged to the military in fact i mean the officers of officers club has got a cinema which was open for the public and uh, we will just go and as a group from our neighborhood and all children mainly children in fact i mean very few adults would go to the cinema and uh, and we had uh, the cinema started used to start at six o'clock and then it finishes at nine and then uh, you will uh, have another uh, repeat repetition or mm. repeat oh, yeah, yes yeah. 
and then it finishes around 11 12 you know and the, and we we used just to sit and wait <laughs> <laughs> yes so that we 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 finish and most of us probably some of us will not off <laughs> and by 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 nine o'clock and we will be awakened when the, when when everybody because everybody has to leave and then when we we the cinema finishes we'll walk back and not far off i mean about 20 minutes maybe and then we will sit under the street light Aww. talk about that with no care in the world we were very safe our parents will not worry about us and um, there was no concept of uh, uh, of um, or risk to our safety if you like so it was beautiful and very beautiful life i and uh, for instance i mean now probably children who grew up in the last 30 years they will know the different uh, noises that the uh, the gunfire makes mm. they will tell you i mean because uh, i mean it's on the social media and all that but um, i mean how safe somalia was i am from the army family my uncles my brother they were all from the army and i grew up them having their own pistols carrying mm. their own pistols because they were officers and uh, i have never and heard a gunfire in my life. Oh wow! Yes, so that's how safe was. Uh, I don't think many just... people really understand that. Yes. So every single time, even now, when people ask me, "Oh, like, where are you from?" Because I get asked that question heaps, especially in like retail jobs where you're talking to a lot of different people. I mm. mean, um, every single time I say Somali without fail, it's always. Oh, that place is, you know, so sad, it's so dangerous, or, yeah. you know, even people, then people ask me, you know, have you ever been there before? And I say no, and they're like, oh, but you wouldn't travel there, right? It's so dangerous. And, yeah. you know, it sounds like you, I'm just glad to hear that, you know, there, before everything happened, actually, Somalia was a really, really safe country, because oh. even in New Zealand, I don't think, you, you just can't say that. Yeah. Like, I'd be worried, you know, walking down the street at night, but it just sounds like, Mm. It was really like communal living and everyone knew each other and everyone really looked out for each other. No, I mean, in, in, I mean, when I came to New Zealand, what I read about the papers that sometimes, I mean, silly people going and hurting elderly and uh, physically, um, you know, uh, and damaging them, you mm. know, hurt, assaulting them. Mm. In Somalia, you never, you never heard that sort of thing. I mean, elderly uh, enjoy a very special respect, even from the bad thieves i mean even the, from the bad people they they i mean i don't know what the situation is at the moment because of all this and um, turmoil and chaos but then i mean if you for instance i mean i uh, i mean you will be very careful if you i mean some kids kids being kids you know some of the kids will just go and pick up you know butts of cigarette and they will try to experiment on it mm. and if and a complete stranger, Somali uh, elder man, they always have their, they always have, always they have their say. stick cans, yeah? <laughs> they will just use it. And uh, I mean, you will not dare. And your parents will not say anything about that because it's just the, the how uh, the society looks out for, his, for, for each other. And, uh, and they will not unnecessarily um, abuse you. But when if you're doing something or being disrespectful to an elderly 
or doing something that is uh, socially not acceptable, wow, <laughs> you'll be in big You'll trouble. be told. Exactly, you'll be told. <laughs> uh, so, um, and then Mogadishu is a, a coastal town. I mean, it has got beaches and very nice beaches. And then we used to go to the, uh, the weekends. We used to go to the beach, play football, swim there again with no, I mean, your parents will not, will not uh, worry about you. And then uh, the beach is teeming with children and teenagers and, you know, and uh, uh, you've got um, restaurants or bars, bars, not drinking alcohol bars, but <laughs> bars. I'm that, assuming in an Islamic yeah, country, it yeah, wouldn't be like New yeah, Zealand bars. Yeah, yeah. sold in cold and then you will get food from there. And then it was wonderful. And uh, your parents will give you the, the box money. Yeah, pocket money to, yeah, mm -hmm. to to do that. So it was, uh, I mean, nice, really. Uh, if if I mean for the last five, I mean, and that shows how the importance of being having a state and a government in mm -hmm. place and uh, policing. Um, I mean, if that's collapsed, I mean, everything just falls with it. Doesn't yes, it? exactly. Yeah. Becomes insecure. I um, remember when I first saw photos of Mogadishu because I, growing up here, I've never been to Somalia before, and you know sometimes you and Hoden always talk about back home that much, and so all the kids at school would always tease us like, oh, Africa, everyone just lives in huts. There's not even internet there. It's, yeah. <laughs> there's just nothing. You guys are so backwards and uncivilized. But yeah. I remember when I first saw photos of Mogadishu, and I was like. Oh whoa! Like even though I've never been there, I'm connected to this place. Like that's where my Avil grew up. And oh yeah, it was. It looks uh, beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, it, it is so beautiful. beautiful. And Mogadishu. I mean, if they people tell you that, I mean, it is Horn of Africa was there. I mean, and part of the world. I mean, and I mean, although there was a uh, British and Italian colony, colony, they were uh, and confined into these cities. They were not. I mean, the Somalis are mainly. A very, um, very proud, very, pr very proud people. You know, they don't. We uh, are. <laughs> yeah, they don't. Uh, they don't like. Uh, I mean, and we are nomads. I mean, and camel headers. So, I mean, you, you have no connection with the the colonization. I mean, in that sense, because the uh, Italians or the British never went into the deep into the Somali proper. They were confined into small. Um, urban areas confined is, by Somali people. I mean, I mean, I mean, they have no business also to go into the deep of the country because probably they they were not interested that 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 much. So they were not a deep. Somalis have not been uh, colonized in that sense. They have always been fierce, independent, and proud people. Um, and yeah. Mm. So. That's so actually very interesting because, like, I think growing up in New Zealand and seeing how Tangata Whenua have been treated and like the history of colonization here, and how much harm it's done to um, to Maori people, and then just hearing it from what that the same word colonization means, but in the history of Somalia, it's very very different, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I mean, the British. Uh, I mean, I think uh, if you just read the history, it has colonized the world in three categories and one was uh, the Dominion I mean like Canada New Zealand Australia uh, and South Africa I'm not sure they were the Dominions I mean whereby a lot of um, I mean 
people and uh, British went there in a big numbers and they uh, subjected their rules and to to those countries and anybody who was there was a British national I mean which means you're fully assimilated I mean you have no culture you have no I mean that's how the Dominion was and then there's colony you know like Aden in Yemen Mm-hmm. was a colony whereby uh, the uh, the country vast uh, part of the country is uh, left of their own mm. and they are they can have their own rule and uh, I mean they are not subject to the British uh, rule whereby only in the colony like Aden was a colony and uh, and and the rest of the Yemens was not they were protectorate whereby only the uh, people govern themselves according to their own customs and rules and only the uh, the uh, and the british uh, law applied and when when it's needed i mean so is that the case so for somalia too yeah so oh, okay. so it was a protectorate and somalia was a protectorate british somaliland was a protectorate they were not it was not a colony Okay, so yeah. we so that's the least form of colonization, if you like. I see. Yeah. Okay. So, so that you have got these these different hierarchies. So, in case of New Zealand, it will be very different from experience of the Somalis in the in the uh, British uh, colonization. Oh, yeah. I actually didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. thank you for it explaining is. that. I had yeah. no idea. Yeah, it is. It is. Um, and uh, I mean, as I said, vast majority of the Somalis, even living then like my grandfather and uh, or the childhood of my father they would not they might not see a white man there's no business because they are in their uh, own tribal land mm-hmm. just like the maoris i mean their own tribal land and the british would not dare to go there they would be fiercely fought with it and the uh, italians were the same they were mainly confined and in the in the cities but it doesn't mean i mean again because of the international r- r- rules they were basically and um, i mean treating the country as though it's the subjects are belong to them and uh, in that sense we have not escaped in colonization per se yes because i mean if you want to have international relations and all that you were not recognized you were not part of the mm. global citizens or as we know it today so yeah Mm. Um, you brought up the point about tribes, and I kind of want to rewind back to that point because I think it's a very important part of Somali culture, and even though I don't intimately know it and I want to work on it, but just the concept of tribes and like the importance of you know genealogy in Somali culture. Do you want to talk about that a little bit more, Abu? I think, I mean, from my, and this is my personal perspective, in some ways, I mean, it has got, it's, a, a sort of double double-edged sword double-edged mm. sword yes and because in one sense I mean my country Somalia has been destroyed because of tribal politics absolutely yes but on the other hand when you look at it I mean there won't be any um, identity crisis for a Somali because they know their gene- genealogy I mean it is a must thing that you know some people know it 150 generations and depending how how far you count and then 
and it's just like a tree a branch mm. and then you know where you meet with so and so and they will just meet maybe f six generations 10 generations 40 generations you know and there is this tribal um, um, or clan system so uh, it's like uh, endless <laughs> in some ways so what happened was when you use that system I mean which is uh, which works in the in the tribal areas it works in in a sense that because uh, you have to um, people are uh, you know they are uh, and camel herders you have got camels and you cannot do on your the job by yourself when watering them you need the support of your tribe mm -hmm. and then people raid each other's and camels quite common so you need somebody to um, protect you and in that sense uh, it is social security uh, the tribe in that sense socially and people also again different tribes get married and you don't marry uh, two people only you are marrying two tribes two clans mm. they and that's the bondage and I've got my mother's side they are my real active from my maternal and uncles and then I have got my fraternal uncles which is part of my clan I, I take that name so there's also these relationships and mm. and uh, in that sense it is good a lot of subjects when but when you when you interpret it in in the modern political sense that's where it becomes a poison mm. and uh, that's what has destroyed Somalia so in some ways that's why I say it's a double-edged sword. Mm -hmm. I mean, it could be good and for the sense of identity and genealogy and that aspects of it when people use it within that context. But again, it is very destructive force and because my tribe can be part of Somalia. But when I try to use my tribe and, and try to subjugate other tribes, I mean that cannot happen. That cannot work mm. for, for for for. But what is uh, and what can work for everyone is this bigger, beautiful platform mm. of the nationhood, Somali nationhood, and uh, it has worked for some time. Growing up in Mogadishu, I mean tribe somehow got got uh, uh, the importance of tribe became less and less, mm -hmm. and until the government, I mean, or the president then used and uh, to um, buy one tribe against the other and that has oh, created I see. yep that was the genesis of the state collapse because people all belong to different tribes or different and uh, clans may I say Somali is one language one one religion and one people when you think of it mm -hmm. and uh, Ethiopia Kenya, a lot of tribes, more than 43 languages I heard in Ethiopia. Yeah, these are heaps of different yep, languages. 43 it's languages, yep. So, I mean, in the 60s, Somalia was a great example. I mean, everybody was thinking, oh, this is going to be a successful nation because of being one language, mm -hmm. one religion, one, you know, customs. You cannot and, uh, differentiate from a Somali to, from one Somali wherever they've come from from the other unless they tell you which tribe they belong to yes that's the only way you can differentiate uh, Somalis whereby other tribes they've got different languages and different mm -hmm. and ethnicity and all that so uh, there was high expectations of it but 
we prove it to be the, <laughs> and the opposite, the opposite yes, yeah. which is um, unfortunate. What, what about the concept of like knowing exactly who you are and you know where you come from in your different generations now that you've moved like outside of Somalia, like when you moved to Pakistan for example, when you meet other Somali people in Pakistan, was it like, oh, I am in a blah 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 blah, like, you no. were able to figure out where you kind of met in the middle or had common no. ancestry? No, definitely. I mean, that is part of your identity. That's part of Somali identity. I mean, if you meet any Somali, said where you've come from, and that's not necessarily bad because people oh, just no, I think it's want to cool know thing. you. I mean, if they know your tribe and they will know, oh, okay. And then the strange thing is Somalis, Somalis also are very, uh, very close to each other. You will either meet someone in that sense who is uh, your neighbor, and who is a common, I mean, because as I said, I mean, 150 generations, you will always have someone from that long line of, of, of uh, genealogy, you will know where you meet from everyone. And they are complete strangers. Like, I mean, the tribe that, um, I mean, I, my clan, Ogaden, I mean, they, they are in Kenya, and you find them in Somalia. And you find them in in uh, in Ethiopia, yes. And uh, at one stage, I mean, uh, you will find uh, Somali uh, Ogaden Somali minister in Kenya who is an Ogaden, or Somali minister who is on in uh, Ethiopia who is an Ogaden, or Somali minister who is in Somalia who is an Ogaden. You know, and same tribes like that. I mean, you might find some your mother from Ishaq tribe, and then they are also everywhere. You know, it's just people are just all um, intermarried each other, and uh, they know each other. I mm. mean, and and in that way, and that is a positive side. But again, the same people might be <laughs> fighting each other because of uh, because of uh, vested interest of politics mm. and modern way of life, and you know, it's crazy stuff to an extent that we have, you know, lost the. I mean, completely uh, collapse of Somali state mm. as we know it, where you find a lot of. That's why you find a lot of uh, Somalis just running away from Somalia, and yeah. We're all across the globe right now, aren't mm. we? We mm. really are. Yeah. Um, I kind of wanted to go back to when you were saying, you know, things really started to, you know, go south in Somalia back in 1991. But at that point, you'd already left Somalia, Abu. Oh yes, I left. I mean, in, in 1985, after my uh, finishing my secondary school, I went to Pakistan to study university. And then you did your university studies, yep. and then you went to Yemen. You mm. met Haya, yep. and then got married and, and yep. started started yep. a family. Mm -hmm. And then when Adnan and I were born, um, what was you and Haya's thinking process about moving and leaving Yemen? Because to be honest, I remember nothing from Yemen. Yeah. No, no, you were very <laughs> I was young. so young. I mean, we left there when I was two years old, but I really remember nothing. Like, yeah. what was life for us back then? And was there something that you and Ho were like, actually, we don't want our kids to live here. We want to move somewhere else. Or? No, I mean, the uh, Somalia also has got this, that uh, you have to just cross the Mediterranean Red Sea to come to Yemen. And there has been that and historic relationship between Yemen and Somalia. Mm -hmm. I mean, socially, and, and even when the and British were there, colonized Aden for over 150 years, 
I mean, there was always Somali community living. And before that even, I mean, there's a lot of uh, Yemenis who live in Somalia and there's a lot of Somalis who live in, the, in, in Yemen. So you don't feel a complete stranger in Yemen. A Somali would never feel that way. Mm-hmm. And Yemeni will not also feel a complete stranger in, in, in Somalia. And even now, I mean, there's a lot of Somalis who are living in Yemen. And there's a lot of Yemenis who are living in Somalia, mm-hmm. the way things are. And that's how, how, how things have been for generations and generations. So, I mean, it was never an issue for, for us to live there, but there's no... I mean, when I had the young family, and I mean, the uh, uh, I was lecturing at the university there, and uh, I mean, opportunities were limited because Soma- Yemen is not very wealthy country mm-hmm. as well, and uh, you will never get a s- citizenship. Will always oh, yes, you I didn't know that. You don't get a citizenship, and uh, I mean, university. Um, the nature of university work was on contract, so, mm-hmm. so they will renew every two years for you and uh, they had their own problems in in Yemen as well it's just more or less, more or less like Somalia a very tribal society and uh, I thought I mean where can I go <laughs> and then my family were in the states then I didn't want to go to the states um, yeah that's interesting because yeah. I feel like Somali people are quite social and you kind of go where your family goes yeah so it's because even now when I meet other Somali people they always at least have other family members here but yeah. it's literally only just us. Yeah. And I'm, yeah, I'm really curious to know why you were like, okay, definitely New Zealand, even though I have family that live in yeah. America. No, in fact, I mean, um, I was very acutely conscious of uh, um, so, 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 social justice. I mean, I don't, mm-hmm. I don't like um, uh, being treated any differently from any other person. Mm-hmm. And uh, you hear about American and. I mean, how the black people are treated, and and uh, that history of slavery, very something that um, just goes being a Somali against my conscious. And um, then I come across a uh, Australian and and Kiwi who were married and working there, international school in in Yemen. And then the. Uh, they showed me about the Treaty of Waitangi. Mm-hmm. Yes, and uh, how uh, the history of I read about the history. How the I mean the and comparing to the other countries, people here were and who came the pioneers. They bought the land and they came more or less in a quite a organized fashion. And I don't get the idea of the Treaty of Waitangi, and that's what I believe. It mm. would be, and uh, so I when said, you were reading the history, you yes. were like, "This is this yeah. is how it comes Treaty across of to me." Okay. Yes, the Treaty of Waitangi and all that. Then I said, "This is this is a nice country," and then those people were also very nice people. I mean, and the and the Australian and the Kiwi, and who were married to each other, they were really nice people. And then I fell in love. I said, "This is a country where I can really." raise my kids yeah yeah but uh yeah it's not all roses it's been hard hasn't it it has been really hard even coming to the country i i just remember when we were younger the newspaper came around to take a photo of us and i back then i was just so excited i was like oh my gosh your family's gonna be in the newspaper we have to dress up really nice but it wasn't until i was much older and then i realized 
I still cannot believe that that happened to you. So coming over to New Zealand, yeah. you were denied entrance into... Yeah. And how I had to come here first was Adnan and I? No, that's not the way it was. I mean, I mean, and that was my first shock coming to to New Zealand. I was in transit in Singapore and then this Australian guy who was, we, who was working for the uh, Qantas airline and took exception to me and because I was, according to him, not dressed as a scientist and I, because I have <laughs> yellow socks <laughs> and he has defaced my passport. I mean he has written on my passport and once your passport is defaced then they also took my visa away. Oh. Yeah, so I have to be treated very badly and uh, sent back to Yemen. So I went back to Yemen. And so then what did Haya do? Did she go back with you too? No, no, I was coming, uh, uh, I was coming uh, to get the visa and then I also had uh, a work line, work line it up for me with the WHO in Yemen to work as a mm -hmm. contractor there. But uh, and, uh, I went back and that job did not also materialize because there was no funding so i mean i ended up not having that work and uh, it took me almost a year uh, to get my visa back i mean the good thing is i started writing letters and there were good people who were here that i wrote to in fact through that family mm -hmm. and and one of her relatives, uh, uh, bless his soul and rest his soul, he passed away now. And that's the man who took my case. And uh, and uh, I ended up getting my visa back and I came 96. So uh, that's when you, um, you came with us. The reason why uh, I came here first was because when I got the visa, you got the visa you and your mother and me got the visa and then Adnan was, mum was seven months pregnant, mm -hmm. Adnan. So I just thought I will just uh, wait it out because I don't want to risk um, the child a long haul flight after seven, I mean seven months pregnant. Mm -hmm. So I decided to stay on and get the baby and when Adnan was born, I think after 30 days, um, then I, when I, I came here. Mm -hmm. And when I came here, I went. I applied. I went to the immigration, and they say, "Oh, take his passport to the British um, embassy there." Mm -hmm. And that's you know. I, and, and I had the passport, so I have to send the passport back to mum. And they took they took the passport, and he got his visa by the British um, through the British embassy there. And uh, I think after four months, you guys joined me here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What were those um, early years like? So I have really no no memory. <laughs> well, now again, that's where um, you know the reality hits, and mm -hmm. that's probably where, and a lot of people, uh, uh, a lot of migrants who came here through a skilled migrant got got disillusioned with the system, mm -hmm. and I think there's a lot of uh, a lot of uh, work to be done in that sense. A lot of people coming here qualified and uh, and uh, they are not working in their life if you are coming from certain countries it's just and your qualification is denied despite the fact that you get your residence based on your qualifications mm -hmm. and experience and uh, the, was that a really big surprise to you when you first it was to a New big Zealand? shock big shock yeah big shock to me and uh, I mean it's just like uh, your life has been you know 
and you know denied I mean it's just because yeah it's not easy but then you made the really brave decision to retrain and restudy yeah because you'll see a lot of Somali taxi drivers I think that was another weird thing that we got teased for at school Mm -hmm. and I think it's not bad people I mean and it's not I'm not saying it's a bad thing to do I think people actually need to understand how hard it is to migrate to New Zealand and at the end of the day bills need to be paid there needs to be food at the table and if that means being a taxi driver absolutely I think that's so honourable because that is the money that that feeds your kids and gives them the opportunities that they need to get to where they need to be. And so yeah. I think that's a very, very honourable thing. But then it's really interesting that you decided to actually th- go back to to studying. I think it's not a Somali thing. It's a migrant thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are a lot of uh, uh, people who come from all around the world who came here qualified and they ended up because of, as you precisely, because reasons to do with putting bread on the table and that pressure of life. And who ended up uh, doing many different jobs, including uh, taxi driving. And uh, there's no, no problem with that. I don't see any issue with that. And I mean, it's a job. And as you said, it pays the bills. But for me, I did, I did not go down that path. I mean, I resisted and uh, I was, was doing that? I was doing different jobs. I mean, I, I did then community work, interpreting. And, um, you know, that was what, what I, I've done and it was not a stable job as mm. yeah but again you get a lot out of it I mean you've got uh, help the communities I mean uh, who are in need I mean in the health sector uh, and you, I mean you a lot you learn a lot from the system going through that and interpreting and helping supporting people and also then again the cultural thing I mean in terms of the differences how people think an equity issue becomes more prominent in your mind. Mm. So uh, that's that's how um, I I uh, and work through. And again, I mean, the mindset is I could have gone to Australia, but a lot of migrants after three years that when we got the citizenship was three years. They used to go to Australia, but I said no. This is where I want to give stability to my children. Mm-hmm. This is where I'm gonna stick i have no regrets looking back i mean i'm very grateful for the opportunities that i've got in new zealand you don't look at the negatives as i said i mean the uh, i mean my qualification not being accepted it's not something that i i become bitter and twisted and you know if you have got that mindset you gave up in life (laughs) so and i mean there are challenges you only look at the and not only the challenge but you look the opportunities so as long as there are, uh, the system uh, treats people fairly. I mean, when I came, as soon as I landed in New Zealand, I was entitled to get um, everything that a New Zealand citizen mm-hmm. who have been here many, many generations is entitled to. Um, but was that easy for you to access? And if you didn't have that knowledge, yeah. would you have been able no, to I, access that? Yes, you would have been, because there are people, I mean, people that I helped in Australia, uh, refugees, state houses. I've never been to a state house myself. I've always rented privately, but um, I could get a state house, state house if I wanted. People who are coming here as a refugees are, in fact, put on top of the list over the any other and um, Kiwis um, to get the state house. And uh, and when you think of this, uh, the pressure on the 
state system, you will realize that, uh, um, I mean, refugees are treated well. Mm. Well, as someone who has worked in government and you've worked directly alongside um, communities, you would know about the access to support and the access to resources more than, than I would. But that kind of brings up a point that I want to talk about with you because I feel like we have completely different mindsets about you know racism in this country like I think about it and I think New Zealand is a pretty racist country and then you you don't think that's that way and I would no. love to un unpack that a bit more yeah I think we're we're different in that sense I, I would say uh, there are some elements racistic elements of New Zealand in New Zealand but as a country overall in New Zealand, it's not a racist country. And I would say, why? I mean, there are people who have got, I mean, everybody brings their own upbringing. Uh, they've come from somewhere. Uh, they have insecurities. They have their attitude towards other people. And New Zealand being um, it is own context. And let me just say, in the context of New Zealand, in Maori and the history that they have been, I'm not talking about that kind of racism and and uh, it is true I mean it is everywhere in this negative statistics education in health in prisons mm. I mean I mean the Maoris and uh, have got um, that history of colon colonialism they have been negatively impacted and uh, it is not easy for the Maoris to just forget and move away from it because it's from generation to generation to generation. And that is, I accepted that. And uh, I mean, if anybody is interested in that, it is uh, something that we live in every day. Absolutely. And it's in the, a lot of books have been written about it. I mean, you can see it in the negative statistics. But again, and when it comes to the migrant, somebody who's coming to New Zealand, mm -hmm. I mean, it is different in a sense of, I mean, an individual is coming as a family because people do not come here as a group. I mean, I came here, I'm a Somali, but I came here as my own family. And a lot of the migrants will come in that sense and in that way to New Zealand. So then what I ask myself is um, the way I see it. I mean, in one moment, I was a foreign to this country, mm -hmm. no entitlements whatsoever. I got the permanent residence. And all of a sudden, I am treated as part of New Zealand. Mm. I mean, and, you know, with all the advantages and privileges that come with being a New Zealand resident, permanent resident or citizen, okay? So, I mean, if I am down and do not have any income, I will get the benefit, right? If I apply for a New Zealand housing, I'll get that, right? If I... Um, go into the uh, court system and do something illegal, then I'm entitled to get the uh, um, my fees for the law being paid for. And, and my children will go to the school like any other kid, right? Mm -hmm. They will have entitlement in that sense. So that is what I look. Most of the time, I mean, the queue is on one-on-one -on -one level. Nobody will come until you come across very silly people who tell you, go back where you've come from. I have not seen, my, it has never happened, 25 years of my life, I have not come across anybody who tell me, go back where you've come from. But I heard people whom, 
who have experienced that. Yep. You're telling me now. You, 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 you were like told. You make it sound like it's a really distant thing, okay. but it's yeah. happened to yeah, me and it, us other kids too. Yeah, good. It did happen to you. Yes, it happens. And that's what I hear. But they are, I call those are bad apples. They are, they are silly, silly people. And they have got their own insecurity. They have got their own problems. And that's what they reflect on. But I look at the system as a whole. Is it treating me uh, the way, uh, I mean, what I'm entitled to? Yes. Again, it could well be, even within the system, uh, people who interpret the rules or the entitlements or all that, you will come across some people who are not nice. And again, and, but most of the public servants, most of the people here, they are doing their best and they don't care where these people come from. They are all New Zealanders as far as they are concerned. And you come across maybe one or two who uh, try to manipulate the system in that way. But they are exceptionals. That's why I say New Zealand in that sense, at the personal level, and I'm not, taking, I'm not talking about the, uh, the Maori and experience with, with the colonial history and all that, but as a migrant coming to New Zealand in that sense and this is what the um, that's my experience and I think that would be fair to say then um, New Zealand is not an overall a racist nation. That's so wild to me I think I hear that and I'm just like <laughs> that is a complete BS I think and this is something that I've, I've spoken about with my other friends who are also like first generation migrants and you know they've also commented that their parents feel the exact same way that you do and I honestly think it's a generation difference because and my theory is that you know you and how I have come to New Zealand and you sacrificed so much to be here and then like you're in such a survival mode and you're always going to just think of things as challenges and just another thing in life that you just kind of have to adapt or just you know move around but I think for people of my generation we're just like absolutely not this is a really big issue we have every right to call it out we have every right to speak up against it but I think there's just the attitude of accepting it and like reframing it as a challenge and just focusing on the positives and I think that that's a generational difference that's that's come up a lot I think um, and I think we can only think like that because it's on the back of your sacrifices right because you've come to New Zealand and sacrificed so much and you've really set the foundations and then now we're just happily living on the foundations that you have built for us and because we are living on the foundation that you've built for us I think we have the privilege of being like this is actually not okay and I'm not saying that New Zealand is there's not nice people here or um, every experience is tainted with some horrible trauma yeah. I'm not saying that but yeah. I'm also I'm just saying that you know, for people to, yes, you can say those are just bad apples, but if you think about the fact that, like, if you have a name that's not a Western name, it's harder for, you know, for you to find jobs or, you know, people will have neg hold negative stereotypes around you. And the fact that we're not even actively anti-racist, I think that's the thing that gets me as well. Because people have so many, like, horrible attitudes towards migrants and refugees, and that still boils my blood when I think about it at the end of the day, because 
we are all migrants to this land and it's Māori people, Tangata Whenua, who, who are the first people of this land. And then if you're not Tangata Whenua, you are a visitor to this, to this land. But for whatever reason, the way that the system has given power to certain people, we will always be seen as the ones that should be told to go back home. But when do we, it's not a common thing for, you know, Pākehā people to be t told to go back home when they are also with, with the label of migrants as well. No, I, 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 the reason why Pakia are not are not told that way is just because I mean they are the the uh, when it comes to the grouping they are the predominant group. Exactly. And, and oh, they, that's they, my point. And, exactly. No, no, no. And they have got and they have got um, some advantages over the any other group that comes to it. You have but just explained it, no, racism, no, no, But no, I did not. I did not. That, I just explained the, what the reality is. What the reality is. I mean, if for instance. I mean, the uh, you would have had a, I mean, uh, three million Somalis here living, um, where you have got now about three thousand. It just make the numbers. I mean, every and, and that is and in every uh, migrant uh, country like New Zealand, um, you will find the newest group always get it hard and and get it tough. I mean, the Pacifica uh, people in the seventies. And if you read the history, the dawn raids. I know about the dawn. Yes, mm. I mean, and they were new. But now, I mean, look at the Pacifica representation in New Zealand. I mean, I mean, nobody can say that generation and their children now they are in the parliament. I mean, they are in all spheres of the government, and it's a matter of time before it's human nature, right? And uh, but when. I say uh, New Zealand is not a racist. I look at it. I mean, my country, Somalia, has been I mean, decimated. Who did it? I mean, who did we the hardest? Yeah, it's the Somalis themselves, right? I mean, nobody came from outside world and destroyed Somalia. It is the Somalis who have who have uh, destroyed their nation, become virtually stateless. I mean, the picture that I've shown you, growing up as a child, very ideal, very good. The only thing I knew in New Zealand was the Kiwi Polish that I, in the 70s, that used to come to Somalia. That's the mm. only thing I know about New Zealand. And I didn't know it's, um, it's the Kiwi, Kiwi. That's how we, how, how we know it. And uh, uh, when I became stateless, more or less, and my Somali passport has become you know, he wouldn't have defaced my passport if I was holding any other passport. And he could do it because he knew that uh, the Australian guy knew that uh, this is a Somali passport and it's stateless. And that's why he, he just said, this passport is not recognized. Who took me in? New Zealand. New Zealand did. <laughs> yes. So I'm very grateful for that, uh, for that opportunity. And that's where I've come from. That's where I'm coming from. Mm. New Zealand gave me the citizenship. New Zealand provided education to my children. Um, I, I mean, most of my life, I've, I mean, I think I've only had six months all my life, the, out of the 25 years that I was in New Zealand, I only had uh, uh, work and income for six months. And I had been working, so to work in a New Zealand, you have to have, that is because I'm entitled to work in New Zealand. So I'm very grateful for all that opportunities that I got. Mm. And 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 uh, and very very proud of that as well. And uh, but was there a challenges? Was my qualification not uh, recognized? Yes. Um, 
does that say uh, because it's a racist country? No. And am I the only one who has not? I mean, if I would have come from um, probably England and um, with in English qualifications, probably I would have had uh, easier path to get my qualification than what it is. Am I happy with that situation? No. Is the country losing because of that? Yes. A lot of migrant, well-qualified people coming from all over the world are not in the jobs that they uh, deserve to have. And who's losing? The, uh, we are losing. As a country, we are losing and to, uh, to out of that uh, situation. There's a lot of doctors out there now who are coming from different countries and we are um, crying for qualified doctors and why if they were coming from England or probably from the States uh, they would not be uh, questioned their qualifications would not be questioned but because they're coming from certain countries that is where I think the the, the uh, debate uh, needs to happen in the context of 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 uh, you know is the country benefiting they're inviting all these skilled migrants at the same time they are not being provided with the with the with the, not given the opportunity or foot in the door, which is a quite a vicious system, and and that needs to change. But who will change it? It is through the uh, through the uh, through the positive actions. Probably migrants like you who have um, who who were born in New Zealand, who knows the system, and who grew up the system instead of you know. Uh, and labeling the country as <laughs> as a racist, you need to probably um, and take some actions on, on on that front and and go to the parliament maybe and debate and go to the politician. <laughs> right, politician. I get it. Uh, you're telling me stop talking all this talk and do something about it. Then instead of just saying it's racist, I yes. understand. Yeah, it's not a racist. <laughs> it's not a racist. I um, mean, it is. It is. I mean, it is what it is. But uh, I think. Uh, New Zealand overall uh, is a beautiful country. People smile. Even, yeah, it is nice, a beautiful country. Polite, it is, and I'm glad to polite, call it home. But smile. We, yeah. I think there are things that we need to fix in our own backyard. Yeah. Um, and I think also you, you and Hoi have always been so hesitant to use that that R word. You know, whether it's racist or you know labeling something as racist mm. or using the racism word. I think you've always been very scared that will fall into the trap of internalizing that and then adopting some victim mindset yeah um, exactly that's what that's what I mean and then again that's the negative of it I mean if you just go down that path you're just saying oh accepting that victim mentality and if you adopt that you will never um, climb out of that rat or hole mm. that you put yourself in you can be uh, constructive and uh, change maker without um, becoming uh, uh, because it is emotionally very expensive uh, very demanding I would say uh, where it's very loaded so everything to do with with society is highly emotive subject so if you are not careful and uh, and do not handle it in the right way it might consume you just like a fire. Yeah, you and Hoya were always very, very conscious mm. of that. Like I remember sometimes I would come home and tell you some stuff and then you'd be like, well, don't think about it because you're going to you're going to fall into a trap, um, which to be honest, at that age was not helpful, <laughs> but that is okay. <laughs> that is okay. I mm. understand you and Hoya, but there are a lot of things that 
I think you were very scared of and you just tried your best to protect us. Um, so I think that's why we have a different opinion about it. And, you, and I understand that because it is true when you do internalise that racism, um, you don't have that confidence in yourself and mm. it does mm. completely destroy you. So yeah. I understand, I understand. Mm. Um, and people are made equal. <laughs> that's the truth of, of this world. I mean, we are absolutely equal in I mean and and uh, if 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 you entertain any idea of some people because of the opportunities they have and even if they treat it that way and uh, take advantage of that situation and try to subjugate other people I mean I mean do they have a clear conscience in their life I leave that with them. it is I mean it is I don't know how somebody will, will live in their clear conscience knowing that they have wronged someone based on their on their color or on their religion or on their differences. I mean, that person will not lead a good life. Time will tell. They will be, <laughs> once they have, you know, it is very hard. I, I just cannot imagine people living that kind of life and, and uh, all their life becoming beautiful and, and, and doing, uh, I mean, if I am working for the government and I interpret the law, based on, um, on in the in the prints of that um, it is not it's not a good thing to do and with clear conscience mm. you are a man of the Quran man of the law man of justice I love it Abu. you're just like no this is how I see the world it's this is exactly how it is and you're right people are meant to be equal but I think in reality that unfortunately hasn't quite happened um, Oh, now that I'm talking to you, I just have all of these questions swirling around my head. But we're actually um, running out of time. But the one last question that I wanted to ask you, Abel, was as someone who has migrated to New Zealand and we've now been living here for 25, going on 26 years, mm -hmm. what does the word home mean to you or, you know, the feeling of home? Where is that for you and, like, what does the word home mean for you now? I think New Zealand is home and also Somalia will always be home. So uh, that's how I view myself. I mean, Somalia, that's where my deep roots are. New Zealand, uh, that's my adopted country and, uh, and provided me with ample opportunities uh, to raise my f beautiful kids, educate them here, doing their own thing now. And uh, New Zealand is home too. Alhamdulillah. Yes, <laughs> and it will be more, even more, because I mean, you will have, I can't see you I mean, you can if you want to go back Somalia, you can, but I mean, this is your home as well. Yeah. It is too. And uh, I mean, there are people who have got two homes. Everybody has got two homes in New Zealand, or if not three homes. So, I mean, it's the best of both worlds. Alhamdulillah, that's true. Mm. Um, thank you so much, Apple, for coming on the podcast. I know it's quite vulnerable, and it's a lot, because other people will be listening to this too, and I know that you're very private man <laughs> and so it means a lot that you've sat down and shared your perspective and I hope for everyone listening that you really like listen to what Abel has said because I think the migrant experience is not properly understood and from your perspective as well it's not spoken about I think my generation will openly talk about um, will would tend to openly talk about these things a lot more but I don't think we talk about it from your perspective enough, just exactly the sacrifices that had to be made. And even though you phrase it as challenges and I see it differently, we don't talk about quote unquote challenges enough. And so I really appreciate um, 
having you you on the show. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for tuning in into another episode of Headscarfs and Good Yarns. To keep spinning the yarns, let us know your thoughts. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Headscarfs and Good Yarns or email us at headscarfsandgoodyarn at gmail.com. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.